Elder Neil Lyndon Anderson was called to serve as a member of the First Quorum of the Seventy in April 1993. He is currently serving as a member of the Presidency of the Seventy and has supervisory responsibility for the Idaho area. He also works closely with the leadership of Mexico and Central America. He has served previously as President of Brazil South Area, Executive Director of the Audiovisual Department, Assistant Executive Director in the Priesthood Department, and First Counselor in the General Sunday School Presidency. Elder Anderson has served as Mission President in the France Bordeaux Mission and as President of the Tampa, Florida Stake. Elder Anderson was born in Logan, Utah and raised in Pocatello, Idaho. After completing his education, he settled in Tampa, Florida, where he held partnership and senior management positions in advertising, real estate development, and healthcare businesses. Elder Anderson graduated from Brigham Young University and earned an MBA from Harvard University. He and his wife, Kathy Williams Anderson, are the parents of four children and grandparents of nine. And now we'll have the opportunity of hearing from Elder Anderson. I'm humbled to be here with you, realizing that each person who is here has chosen to be here. You come uh, with the attitude of learning by faith, and I pray that the Holy Ghost will be in, a, in abundance here, that your faith will be rewarded, and that you can learn something that can be helpful to you. I want to introduce my subject this morning by telling you of a very simple event that happened to me 32 years ago during the spring semester of my junior year here at BYU. I was taking a large, I was taking a class in a large amphitheater classroom. Entering the classroom on one of those first days of the semester, I sat at the very back, far from the professor. As he began writing on the blackboard and as those around me began taking notes, I realized that I could not see what they could see on the chalkboard. Up until that very moment, I had not imagined that I needed glasses and did not anticipate glasses in my future. That's in some of your futures, you will see, as you reach your junior year. But that experience led me to the optometrist and to a pair of glasses. Suddenly, my world improved immensely. I could see many things that I had not see, been seeing for some time. The world became much more alive for me. I remember asking myself, why didn't I realize before that I needed glasses? How could I have not known that I was not seeing? While seeing can be a function of our eyes, we also use the word see to mean understand or comprehend. Have you ever asked, don't you see what I mean? Or have you responded, oh, now I see? My objective today is to enlarge your vision in some very small way that allows you to see or to understand in a way you have not totally seen or understood before. As you live righteously, you will find that during your lifetime, your perspective will enlarge many, many times. Usually this shift in perspective is not a dramatic one, day to, one day to the next, but over time the advances are significant. The most important perspective we want to gain was described beautifully by the Savior. 
And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I will start with two rather academic examples and then move to a more spiritual principle. First, a perspective on time. In the same year that I first put on a pair of glasses, 1974, I attended a large fireside held in the Marriott Center where the speaker was Elder Neil A. Maxwell, then a new member of the Quorum of the Seventy. I have never forgotten the talk he shared. It helped me to view my own mortality in a slightly different way. He read from the writing of Brother A. Lester Allen, a former dean and scientist of biology and agriculture on this campus. Let me read you this analogy and see if it expands just a little your view of time. Listen closely. Suppose, for an instance, that we imagine a being moving onto our earth whose entire lifespan is only one one-thousandth of a second. Now, the entire lifespan is only one one-thousandth of a second. Ten thousand years for him, generation after generation, would be only one second of our time. Suppose this imaginary being comes up to a quiet pond in the forest where you are seated. You have just tossed a rock and are watching the ripples. A leaf is fluttering from the sky and a bird is swooping over the water. He would find everything absolutely motionless. Looking at you, he would say, In all recorded history, nothing has changed. My father and his father before him have seen that everything is absolutely still. This creature called man has never had a heartbeat and has never breathed. The water is standing in stationary waves, as if someone had thrown a rock into it. It seems frozen. A leaf is suspended in air, and a bird has stopped right over the middle of the pond. There is no movement. Gravity is suspended. The concept of time, the concept of time to this imaginary being, so different from ours, would give him an entirely different perspective of what we call reality. I continue to quote from the Allen analogy. Quote, On the other hand, picture an imaginary being for whom one second of his time is 10,000 years of our time. You got that? One second of his time is 10,000 years of our time. What would the pond be like to him? By the time he sat down beside it, taking 15,000 of our years to do so, the pond would have vanished. Individual human beings would be invisible since our entire lifespan would be only one one-hundredth of his seconds. The surface of the earth would be undulating as mountains were built up and worn down. The forest would persist but a few minutes and then disappear. His concept of reality would be much different than our own. End of quote. When I first heard this analogy, with time moving so very fast or moving so very slowly, 
I thought of the words of Alma. All is as one day with God, and time only is measured unto men. And of Nephi's words. As well in these times as in times of old, and as in times of old as in times to come, wherefore the course of the Lord is one eternal round. End of quote. Somehow I sense that my reality as an individual walking through earthly time could be very limited without some perspective greater than my own. Now I switch perspectives, a perspective of space. To help illustrate this perspective, let's examine a leaf on this plant that sits on the V part of the Y on Y Mountain. Do you ever walk up to Y Mountain? Still, we did that 32 years ago, but maybe not so much today. Now we move far, far away from the planet. Here is what the leaf might look like from 10 million light years away. <laughs> Can you see the leaf? <laughs> to help you understand this distance, one light year is approximately 6 trillion miles. The Voyager one space probe, after traveling for 27 years, had only covered a distance of 13 light hours. 10 million light years is a very, very long way. As we look at the leaf 10 times closer from 1 million light years away, we see the spiral of the Milky Way galaxy. And then 10 times closer than that at 100,000 light years. As we come again 1,000 times closer, we still see nothing but stars. 1,000 times closer still at 1 trillion kilometers and we can begin to identify our sun. And you see it there? I'm not sure it looks so brightly in reality, but you can see it. Another 1,000 times closer at 10 billion kilometers, we can see our solar system. This is 10 billion times closer to the leaf than where we started at 10 million light years. As we continue to move closer at 1 million kilometers, we see the Earth in the orbit of the moon. 100 times closer than that, at 10,000 kilometers, we see the western hemisphere of the Earth. And finally, from 10 kilometers, we can see the Y Mountain with Provo below. Can you see the Y <laughs> right in the middle of that photo, just barely? At 10 meters, we can easily see the Y, or a little, a little clip of the Y, and the plant in front of us. Finally, at 10 centimeters, we see the leaf we have been following away, so far away. But now that we are here, there is still much more to see. Moving into the leaf, we get quite another view. Here we see the leaf magnified 100 times at one millimeter. Looking 1,000 times closer at one micrometer, the nucleus of the leaf cell is visible. Ten times closer than that, at 100 nanometers, the chromatin of the leaf cell nucleus is visible. We would hardly see this. But from 10 nanometers, we can see or we can imagine the individual DNA strands. Still moving 100 times closer at 100 Picometers, the outer electron cloud of a carbon atom is visible. This is one billion times closer than when we 
we're seeing the leaf from 10 centimeters. 100 times closer still, and we see the empty space between the inner shell and the nucleus of the atom. As we magnify 100 times more at 10 femtometers, we can see the nucleus of the carbon atom. Finally magnified 100 times more at 100 atometers, we are looking at quarks within the single proton. This is quite a journey to view this simple leaf caught on Y Mountain. When I see the immensity of space and the intricacies and complexities of objects on Earth, I think of the words of Moses. And were it possible that man could number the particles of the Earth, yea, millions of Earth like this, it would not be a beginning to the number of thy creations. And the words of the psalmist, when I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And we sing in that glorious hymn, there is no end to matter. There is no end to space. In the powerful words of the prophet Alma, to the deceiver Korahor, we read, All things denote there is a God, yea, even the earth and all things that are upon the face of it, yea, in its motion, yea, and also all the planets which move in their regular form do witness that there is a supreme creator. I bear witness that he lives that this supreme creator is he who we call our heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ. A developed perspective of space helps us to see the greatness of our heavenly father and that we would be wise to learn of him and to conform our lives to his eternal plan. Let us now look more closely at his plans for us a plan that he has called the great plan of happiness. For this, we must speak of his words to both ancient and modern prophets. Who you are, you have been for a very, very long time. We are sons and daughters of heavenly parents who love us and who have sent us upon a course to become more like them. We lived in the preexistence Prior to our coming to earth, we were taught of our Heavenly Father's plan. We would receive a physical body. We would learn to choose good over evil. The only begotten Son of the Father offered Himself as the Savior of the world, allowing us a way to return to our heavenly home. We rejoiced in the plan, and we fought for it. Many of us also made covenants with the Father concerning what we would do in mortality. In ways that have not fully been revealed, our actions in the spirit world influence us in mortality. We do not have all the answers, but it is very clear that our life is not a coincidence and that it is not by chance that we find ourselves here at this time in human history. The Restoration Scriptures explain a beautiful linking of the generations that once understood open our view and we see our lives in a more complete way. 
3,000 years ago, the Lord covenanted with a righteous man named Abraham, promising him in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. There was a covenant made, a people established, and a promise that through this people, many great things would come to pass in the latter days. When the Savior visited the Nephites following his resurrection, he said to them, Ye are the children of the prophets, and ye are of the house of Israel, and ye are the covenant which the Father made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. Ye are the children of the covenant. You and I are children of the covenant. The Savior has declared it, and I confirm it to you. As we come to understand what it means, we see more clearly. Mortality comes more into focus, like putting on glasses and seeing the blackboard of our mortality, our understanding grows. The Apostle Peter described members of the church as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I repeat, it is not by chance that we find ourselves within this holy lineage, the blood of Israel, with a promise and a destiny that through our lives and the lives of our posterity, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. When we see ourselves in this holy family, those who came before us and those who come after us become very important to us. I have heard President Hinckley say on more than one occasion, I have been thinking a lot about my grandfather and grandmother. I've been thinking a lot about my father and my mother. I have been thinking just a little about myself and my dear wife. And I have been thinking a lot about my children, about my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And then he concludes with this phrase. And I have been thinking a lot about this wonderful link that binds us all together. I repeat again this wonderful link that binds us all together. Now you might say, but my parents and grandparents were not like President Hinckley's. They were not members of the church or they were not faithful in the church. Or as a man in Argentina that I called as a stake president said to me, I don't even know who my father is. He had been given the family name of his mother he had not heard the name of the church until he was 18 years old. How could he be part of this royal family? Through miraculous circumstances that we will one day appreciate more than we can now explain, each of us has been brought into this covenant family, and we have become children of the covenant. It is not necessary that we be able to explain every detail here is where we reverse seeing is believing to believing is the beginning of seeing. I confirm to you that it is not by chance that we are here and that we are who we are. You notice, you notice that in President Hinckley's words, he looked both back through his generations 
his parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and forward through his generations, his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. This is the major point I want to make to you today. As we see through our generations, both backward and forward, we see who we are and we see more clearly what we must become. Let me give you an example. Here is the engagement picture of our son Derek Anderson with his fiance Erica Weibel. They met here at BYU and fell in love three weeks ago with their caps and gowns. They graduated together three days ago, kneeling at the altar of the San Diego Temple. They were sealed by the Holy Priesthood for time and for all eternity. They look to the future with great hope and anticipation. Their lives will be like all of our lives, filled with challenges, tests, happiness, and satisfactions, and moments where they must exhibit the character and strength that is in them. If they look back and look forward and see their role in the generations, it will strengthen and fortify them. Let me show you two people in their lives from the past. This is Daniel Henry Arline, born in 1841 in northern Florida. This is Derek's great-great-grandfather. One day in 1898, he heard the missionary speak in the town square. He felt something inside. Although there was great persecution against the church and against the missionaries as well, he took the missionaries to his home, fed them, and watched over them. He was then 57 years old, but he told his wife, For the first time in my life, I have heard the truth. He and all his family were baptized. Though it was not easy to be a pioneer and a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the turn of the century in the southern United States, Daniel Arline remained true to the gospel and to his covenants. Part of who Derek is comes because of the goodness and righteousness of this man, whom Derek has never met. This is Marva Olson Pryor. She is the great-grandmother of Erica. Her life did not take every turn as she expected. She reared her four children righteously in the church without her husband being a member. She once said, If we keep his commandments, we will be blessed and find peace of mind and true joy, but not without trials, for we learn so much from our challenges. End of quote. Her husband joined the church after they had been married 46 years. Part of who Erica Weibel is comes because of the noble life of this great-grandmother. Here is a picture of Erica with her great-grandmother when Erica was younger. Sister Pryor passed away four years ago. In the world in which we live, there is a great focus on me, I, my world, my style, my satisfactions, and my things. 
In the popular recent book, Generation Me, author Jean M. Twainy leads with these words. These are on the cover. Why today's young Americans are more confident, assertive, entitled, dash, and more miserable than ever before. Now here, we're not miserable. <laughs> here is a paragraph from the book describing some in your generation. Born after self-focus entered the cultural mainstream, this generation has never known a world that put duty before self. Linda's youngest child, she speaks of person, Linda's youngest child, Jessica, was born in 1985. I'm sure there's some here born in 1985. When Jessica was a toddler, Whitney Houston's number one hit song declared, the greatest love of all was loving yourself. Jessica's elementary school teachers believed that their most important job was helping Jessica feel good about herself. Jessica scribbled in a coloring book called, We Are All Spe Special, got a sticker on her worksheet just for filling it out, and did a sixth grade project called, All About Me. When she wondered how to act on her first date, her mother told her, just be yourself. Eventually, Jessica got her lower lip pierced and obtained a large tattoo on her lower back because, she said, she wanted to explain, express herself. She dreams of being a model or a singer. She does not expect to marry until she is in her late 20s. And neither she nor her older sister have, have any children yet. You have to love yourself before you can love someone else, she says. I'm still quoting from the author. This is a generation unapolog unapologetically focused on the individual, the true generation me. Well, this does not describe you, but it describes a part of your generation. Quote, I'm finished, of course, with a quote. If we can look back through the generations, we see those who helped us to get where we are now. Whether they were members of the church or not, those who forged the way before us. And in the restored gospel, we realize even more deeply our responsibility to link them to us through the ordinances of the temple. The Doctrine and Covenants reads, These are principles in relation to the dead and the living that cannot be lightly passed over. For their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation. They without us cannot be made perfect. Neither can we without our dead be made perfect. End of quote. Now let's see through our generations forward. Who will be your children and your grandchildren? Or if by chance you do not marry, who will be those you influence in the generations ahead? Could this be a picture of Derek and Erica's great-grandchildren? <laughs> they could look like this, for these are pictures of Derek and Erica when they were younger. What kind of care and example will they receive from their parents? Will Derek and Erica teach their children in such a way that their grandchildren will believe that they are children of the covenant? When we look at our own lives, 
We must be prepared to look forward into the generations that will follow us. For our footprints will be seen in homes and on paths where we will never walk. As we are righteous, there is a power in the priesthood that passes through us into our posterity, shaping their eternity as it shapes ours. In a blessing, the Prophet Joseph Smith pronounced upon Bishop Newell K. Whitney, the Prophet blessed him with a, quote, a fullness of the good things of this earth for him and for his seed after him from generation to generation. And he said to Bishop Whitney, quote, angels shall guard your house and shall guard the lives of your posterity and they shall become very great and very numerous on the earth. I close by giving you a promise. As you can learn to see through the generations, by looking back and by looking forward, you will see more clearly who you are and who you must become. You will better see that your place in this vast, beautiful plan of happiness is no small place. And you will come to love the Savior and depend on him as his great gift to us makes this all possible. Your influence will continue generation after generation throughout all eternity. I bear witness of these things. Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten of the Father. He lives. He is resurrected. One day, everyone from all nations, all generations, all times and all places will kneel and confess him to be who we claim and know him to be, the Savior of the world. He restored the priesthood to the earth. That priesthood and that power is found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He guides his prophets. I bear witness that you are a child of the covenant and pray that you may, through your generations, see the power that is in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.